0: Welcome to Growing Up Fire with Jamie Coots, Seahawk, it is our commitment to you that you have complete access to the top professionals, industry experts, and products for your fire service. We stand by the service and products we provide. We are proud of our past and we are constantly listening to our customers and exploring new ways to bring better options to the fire service. This is Seahawk. High level, safety, service, security. Please visit our website at www.seahawkservice.ca or give us a call at 1-888-791-4210. Welcome to Growing Up Fire, season four. I still am having a hard time saying that it's season four. So I'm here with Rick and Kelly, and I'm not going to give you their last names because I want you to earn it this time. So you're going to have to listen, and you're going to be like a lot of you, especially over in, uh, sorry, I call it the Middle East, you, you guys call it Ontario, are going to know these guys. There's going to be some folks from Alberta also that know Rick as well. And Kelly, I'm going to guess there's people, so this is listened to in 14 different countries. There would probably be some people in these other countries that might even know you. So that's exciting for me. And we'll get that all figured out as we go along. So thanks for being on the show today, guys. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having us. You say that now, but we're just getting started. So we'll see in 50 minutes from now if you're still pumped about being on here. But no, I appreciate it. And we were just kind of talking about the podcast and, and what it's all about and how it goes. And so for me, it's that starting point, right? it's growing up fire coming up in the system Do you have fire other fire people in your family what do your kids think of it and, and all of that stuff so Kelly we're gonna start with you right and kind of your growing up fire story how you got into business and how you like it
1: it's funny that you mentioned that just before Christmas I linked up with a fellow on Facebook that kind of got me started and it was about 36 and a half years ago I met this guy on the street corner of a little town that I lived in and said, hey, do you want to be a volunteer firefighter? And I said, wow, yeah, I do. Not knowing anything about the job. And here I am 36 and a half years later, I often think back now and wonder what ditch I would be lying in if I didn't go down this path because almost immediately I knew that that was my calling and this has been my career. I tell my kids all the time, this isn't a job for me, this is my career. This is what I love to do and I and I I, I ask them to do the same thing, find something that they really love and and do it and my brother, who is 4 years younger than I, also has just over 30 years in the fire service and uh, we started out together and pretty proud of that. Nice. And you're both, if I remember this correctly, are fire chiefs now. That's correct, so
0: Yeah, you got the same job, you got to the same, you guys ever have fire chief fights? Like, who's the smartest fire chief, and who's the... Particularly at the camp.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and I know uh, every once in a while, and, and anybody that knows me, and particularly those people that come to our hunt camp, which are mostly firefighters and, and police officers. <laughs> of course, that's who we um, you know. It. Every once in a while, my brother, who's a bit younger than me, but I'm aging, so uh, he hasn't recently, but I always ask if he wants to take a shot at the title and he he rarely steps up but one of these days i know that that he probably will and, and I, I'll be the I feel season. like this
0: podcast might be the catalyst now i feel that i, I don't want to get a phone call or a facetime and you got like you're all black eyed like, man i shouldn't have said that on the podcast so i wasn't trying to start any family drama i just think that it's cool that you're both fire chiefs and you're both You kind of have that built in person because it's family and then that built in person that has the same job as you. So we know in this job that sometimes you need some advice. Right. And sometimes you want to have a even more candid conversation than we typically get to have in a fire hall. And so it must be nice to have that person to be able to just say, hey, this is I'm going to get a little deep on you, bro. But what do you think of this? right?" Yeah, it really is. It really is. That's cool. All right. Is there other people in your family that have a fire or were you kind of like the first generation guys? And
1: yeah, surprisingly, no. It's just us. There's no other people. Now, I, I did start my full-time career. My career as a paramedic. My grandfather was a, a medic in World War II, but that's about as deep as that goes. Nice. You, you just said paramedic on my show.
0: It's okay. We're friends. You can say <laughs>
2: You're not going (laughs) to like me much. The growing up fire show.
0: (laughs) No, no. I I took my EMT training. My son's a paramedic. I just always like to make fun of that point in the, while we're talking to you, like walk us through, right? So you did the volunteer stuff. You got your paramedic license. Then you started being a career firefighter at some point.
1: Yeah. So kind of came up through the rank and file, firefighter, training officer, and a paid on call, and then started to educate myself in fire, then became a full-time paramedic And then I got actually my first full time fire chief's role when I was 26 in a small uh, fire department. That's probably a whole other discussion. (laughs) If you want to talk about baptism by fire, that that was uh, quite a learning experience. So, growing up fire while you're on fire. While you're on fire, yeah. (laughs) Luckily, I have no hair. I just really quickly realized that because I was a good firefighter didn't mean I was a good leader. And man, that I have a time trying to get up to speed with the leadership stuff that's required of a fire chief that is so, so much different than being a firefighter.
0: Yeah at 26 right I didn't do it till just like early 30s and I know how much I struggled so even you know like five years sooner than that I can't even imagine so we'll zoom back to that and you also talked about being a training officer so we're, we're going to get to Rick next but I, I want to we're going to talk in this show about that phase of your career when you're a training officer and how some people love you and remember you forever and some people don't love you and how some people you're super annoying to and others like I love your passion and let's get into it and so we're going to talk about that some more too which got Rick staring at me really weirdly now so (laughs) it's it's too late you said yes you're on the show Rick so let's talk about
2: your growing up fire story. Well, I was born at a very, very young age. <laughs> no, see, uh, you, training officer. I just. What, you, what can you say? <laughs> uh, I grew up in a, a little town in Manitoba. The town had less than a thousand people, and it was a, a true volunteer fire department. You didn't get anything for being there. My uncle was the fire chief. My dad was the assistant deputy, and I had another uncle that was a captain. Oh wow. So uh, yeah, when you start there, literally all eyes are on you kind of thing. But the good part was I started at the same time as two of my friends from high school and my cousin. So we kind of figured things out rather quickly and how to to make everything work. And I was there for about two and a half years before I moved away to college, moved to Alberta. Um, Oh, moved to Alberta. What a beautiful province. Thank you for mentioning that.
1: No problem. (laughs) kind of reminds me of Quebec. Oh no. I'm not going to go there. Okay, we have to pause here. <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, moved to Alberta, went to school. I got a bachelor's degree in a little college outside of Grand Prairie. While I was there, I joined the fire department and stayed with the fire department, got my 101 training through them. I, I think we could say the name of the town because sure, it sure if you it. want yeah I love it Sexman
0: yeah and, and I love that program which is why oh, I yeah. want to say so I got to visit there many moons ago I think I was working for the fire school and they sent me up there to do a course and I got there and it was like 90 percent of the fire department was going to college there and everybody kind of joined up the fire department and it was kind of like I don't want to say an extracurricular activity of the college but it was almost like that it was a
2: It was actually driven by an old chief that was there. He ended up retiring recently from Spruce Grove and it was a small town, 1500 people, bedroom community to the city of Grand Prairie. How do we get daytime firefighters? Who's here in the daytime? Well, all the students in the college. So he actually approached the college and said, I want to put this program together that will train firefighters. They sent one of the professors to audit the course that he was doing there. It was uh, Alberta Firefighter Part 1. No pressure, right? No pressure at all.
0: University professor?
2: Well, that professor ended up joining the fire department. Oh. And basically, he was the driver from the college to get that program going. He loved what was going on. He believed in it so much that he drove that program until he passed away from cancer oh wow that's cool
0: right it's kind of one of those like you, you think you're going to come in there and kind of be like a mentorship piece and then all of a sudden you find out that you're going to be starting at the bottom and it would have yeah. been nice to kind of hear that story and, yeah. and go through it so okay that's cool so that's a cool way to get people to come right i know other places that are like that Wolfville, nova scotia with acadia college they bring in a lot of people and that's kind of a cool way people are always trying to You know, how do we get more people? How do we keep people? How do we, well, there's kind of a built-in thing. You're taking a four-year degree. We got you for four years, right? And So just got to make sure we recruit some more people in year four.
2: And it's amazing. I run into firefighters from all over the place and say, I know somebody who was in that program. They're on my department, or do you know so-and-so because I work with them or stuff like that. And they were part of that same program. So it's kind of cool. I worked my way up through there. I was a, a deputy chief when I, took a job in Peace River, started working industrial fire in Peace River and municipal at the same time and did that for, I can say it's one of those interesting things I I throw out there is I've been a volunteer, I've been paid on call, I've been full-time in a composite, I've been full-time in a full-time department and I've been full-time in a integrated department in my 26 years. Nice. That's a big list. That's, uh... (laughs) as well as working industrial a couple of times in there as well. Yeah. You've seen the whole gamut of the,
0: so, okay, we're going to come back to that, but let's finish your growing up uh, fire story. So you start in this fire department and basically half the fire department is your relatives. So I know how that goes, right? So you could get a slap in the back of the head just as easy as getting in trouble or, or getting a compliment from somebody, Mm -hmm. right? All the pressure's on you. Because everybody there is putting the pressure on you. You're putting the pressure on yourself, all of that stuff. So do you think starting in a fire department like that versus maybe Kelly or myself who started in a fire department where we weren't related to anyone or I'm guessing that from Kelly's story, do you think that that was tougher or do you think it was a bonus to have that many people that you know on the fire department?
2: Well, like I said, it's a small town. Basically, you already knew everybody on the department because my dad had been on there for... 10, 15 years, whatever it was, and even those that I didn't know from the fire department, you knew from town anyway. My starting class was actually part of the Mutual Aid District Part 1 class that they did. I think there were 12 of us in that class, and I knew 10 of them when they walked in the room. It's an area that everybody knows everybody. It definitely worked
0: out good for you and helped with that case. So Kelly, how did you feel about that? If you think back to that, you know, your friend convinces you to join the fire department. My story is I got drunk and someone convinced me to be on the fire department, right? We all have our story, but would
1: it have helped to have a bunch of family or people, you know, on the fire department with you? I think just now thinking about it, only knowing one person, it was a humbling experience. And I think it helped me grow as a person. Not that Having a relative would have been a bad thing on there, but not knowing anybody, it kind of forced you to get in, dig in, jump in and create and build new relationships. And that's uh-huh. kind of really what what the fire service is all about, building relationships and that brother and sisterhood. So I, I think for me, it worked out pretty good. And one thing that I gained through all of the places that I've been, I had some just amazing mentors none of those were relatives, just people that I picked up and collected along the way that took me under their wing and really helped me develop into the person that I am today.
0: Nice. It's so nice, eh? Like, I love that whole mentorship piece. The older you get, the more you think about this, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, you learn things from your dad, you learn things from your mom, you learn things from your siblings, you learn things from your friends, your high school teachers, the, and then you get into your career and you, you go through those things and those pieces. Once in a while, it's nice to just look back and and think back to the best mentor would be hard to pick, but the best mentor for this time period in my life or that job that I had or that it always kind of clears it up, right? So I think I'm on my 19th CAO now in my career, which is a pretty big number, right? So it's one every couple of years. It's so easy to look at it and be like, here's the one to five, be pretty easy to figure out 14 and 19 too but the ones in between but every single person i ever worked for there's good there's bad there's things i learned there's there's things i don't do because i learned not to do it because of that there's things i do every single time because of and one of the cool things for me is like the very first cao that ever gave me a chance at a full-time job it just came back and i'm working with him again he's on a contract to just help out where i'm working it's so cool to at the end of his 50 year career he's doing this one last contract and for me to be at 33 years into the start and 33 years is with this same guy there's things that he's doing in the meetings and stuff and I'm like holy crap that's where I got that from I had no idea right like certain things I say certain things I do certain ways I uh, I'll say test people and it's like that's literally where I got that from. I could see him doing it, right? That part's pretty cool. So you were talking about mentors as you went through. Let's jump on that, right? Let's talk a little bit about like some of your best mentors. It doesn't matter if it was childhood, firefighting. Who really sticks in
1: your mind, Kelly? I would say that just starting out the fire chief of my first and hometown fire department and, and the deputy there who really took me in as a snot-nosed kid and were patient with me and really helped me develop as a firefighter and let me grow. When I realized that this is what I wanted to do, I talked to the fire chief and he supported me wholeheartedly on development and training and courses and sent me to the Ontario Fire College and got me to where I needed to get. Those two, I could never, ever repay them for what they did for me. And then when I got in the administration component as a fire chief, one particular guy who was also the CAO became the CAO of the first fire department that I was the fire chief in really got me on the educational component. I I knew nothing about budgets and he was the treasurer at the time and we became close friends and he took me under his wing and was probably the catalyst and the reason why I went to do my master's degree. I mean, he just performed a different level of mentoring in that administrative component, learning the systems helping me with budgets and that stuff so really good folks and and I would even include in there the manager for my full-time job when I was a paramedic just really supportive knowing full well that fire was in my heart I was a paramedic and he used to call me the mirror calendar and he always you know joked but but really helped me develop as a person and, and a human and you know didn't have to do that. Right. Yeah. It could have just been a boss, right? right? Right. Turns into a friend and a mentor. Particularly when he's a medic guy and I'm a, a wannabe firefighter guy. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Could have easily been on two
2: sides of a the coin there, exactly. right? That. Yeah. How about you, Rick? You must have had some good mentors along the way through your I've times. I've had a, and- a few really good mentors. Some in the fire service, some in other endeavors in my life, other areas. The first one that, that really directed me and, and made me realize that I could do fire as a full-time job was the chief I had in Sexsmith. Nice. And matter of fact, he became not only a mentor but such a good friend that when I got married five years ago, he was my best man. Nice. And he came out here for that. And he's recently retired. and. Now I guess I got to drag my wife out to Alberta to visit the new homestead that he has out there. And God's uh, country, brother. Come on back. Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. But another mentor I had, and well, I had a couple of them, but one of the ones that, that really stick out in my head, I worked with a junior hockey club as a trainer for about 12 years. And the coach of that team, Darcy Hogan, was a huge mentor. It's terrible that we've lost him too early because his, his whole philosophy was turn boys into men. It was all by demonstrating and teaching and showing how to have the integrity and how to have, make the decisions to put you further ahead in your life. You know, you can hear the
0: passion in your voice and even your voice starting to break up a little bit. And I think that whole Humboldt bus crash and I lost a young guy that I mentored coming up in hockey. And, but I think the one thing about Darcy that really shines a light for me, like a beacon light is he must have been an incredible leader because the people that talk about him and how they talk about him. And, but I think that his leadership piece, even in this terrible crash and in his death, just got bigger and stronger and grew more. And the people that he had mentored and the people that learned from him, actually, I think, we're empowered to, to be even more like him and to take his message and to take his way of doing things out there. I'm in Humboldt in a couple of weeks in their arena. They obviously have a lot of memorial stuff and people talk about him all the time. And so when I'm there and I'll be looking around and I'll be like, oh, I I know that young fella and, and point on the picture and then right away, it doesn't matter who's at the rank, right? It's old person, young people, and they start telling you stories about the other kids. And it's so crazy because most of those kids aren't from there. Mm -hmm. They were outsiders to that community and they got brought in right and then they start talking about the coach and did you know the coach and this is what the coach would say and his sayings are all over the place and the power of his message must have been incredible when he was around and alive and in his death it even just got more powerful and bigger and that's cool. I mean, it's cool that you got to mentor under him for 12 years and to work with him at different times. It's cool that he had such a big impact on you that we can tell by sitting here that it still has a big impact on you today. And so I guess you only hope as a person, you know, Rick, you're a training guy, Kelly and I are are fire chief in it right now. You only can, can hope that you'll mentor somebody and mean enough to somebody that someday they'll talk about you in that kind of way, Mm -hmm. right? And so to me, that's like a huge tribute for him that it's still so powerful and it meant so much to you that it's like that today. I guess we all hope we're definitely that in our kids' lives, but you hope that you could also do it for some other people out there. So maybe that's a goal when we're talking about leadership and we're talking about mentoring, maybe that's a goal is to try and do a good enough job that you mean that much to somebody in their life.
1: Uh-huh. Good target. Right? For sure. Yeah. Maybe good it's target. a tough target to actually get
0: to but, and a good piece. Right? So thanks for sharing that and thanks. No and it's probably tough, but it's, it's cool, right? It, it starts this other piece of the conversation that's like, that's super cool. Okay. We've kind of gone through these different phases, right? We've all been volunteer firefighters, paid on call, full time, training officers, deputy chief, chief. We've all said so many different roles here. I think it's kind of that part where we should talk a little bit about the favorite role, right? It's, uh, as people go through, I get phone calls and messages all the time. It's like, I'm thinking about moving to captain or I'm thinking about being a lieutenant or thinking about moving to chief or I want to get a full time chief job. How do I do that? I'd like to talk a little bit about, and we're going to start with you, Rick, from volunteer firefighter all the way up to what was the highest one you said, deputy chief and sex Smith so far, what was your, your favorite one, right? What was your favorite job out of all of those and why?
2: In the end, I'm still a firefighter at heart. I will always be a firefighter at heart. Yeah, everybody loves driving the big trucks fast and with the lights on and all that, but I loved helping people. Like I did a stint as an EMT in Alberta that 10 years roughly was, I learned a lot and you got to help people every day. That was just the most amazing part. I find right now my passion is teaching, but I could be just as happy getting on a a busy truck and, and running calls all day, every day. Nice.
0: I don't think he told me the one that he wants the best day eh? he's a, <laughs> I'm being a,
2: as politically correct <laughs> as I possibly can you're
0: being a trainer <laughs> you're using your trainer on me you, you took my own question and turned it around and uh no it's, I get it right I understand I I love kicking indoors too although with my knees now if I kicked in a door I'd probably be a cripple for the rest of my life so that's passed me by but so Kelly how about you
1: That really is a tough question. I see Rex leaving opportunities open, so he's leaving doors open for for future endeavors. Yeah, perfect. (laughs) I don't know, I think I break it down in phases of my life and my career. There's no question that being a firefighter is just an awesome and amazing role, but I've enjoyed everything else that I've done through and with my career particularly the meeting of people and the networking and that brotherhood that the fire service brings to us. But if you really held a gun to my head, I probably would say, and and anybody that knows me will think that this is maybe weird, but I did a stint with the Office of the Fire Marshal for a number of years in the province of Ontario. And I know I've told this to people in the past that that was the best job that I ever had. We talked this week about you going to 500 fire stations, like I think when I was with the fire marshal's office here in the province, I got to go and visit 451 fire departments in in the province of Ontario, and I really appreciated that because I've got a different perspective for everything that they do. I learned so much from them, twice as much as I brought through the door when I came. The other thing that I really appreciate being there was they let me in allowed me the opportunity to do so many things. I I used to teach at the fire college. I did master fire planning. It was just an onslaught. It's where I got involved with and how we're we're connected this week through wildfire and values protection. I learned that anything I knew or the very little that I know there. So I would say that that was my favorite job and role in my career.
0: Acres Emergency Vehicles, a message from our community. A person who is risking his or her life to save the lives and properties of others deserves something as reliable as an Acres Emergency Vehicle. This is our mission, to thank these people with the best gift we can, our best effort. Our commitment includes a firefighter-driven design, manufacturing integrity, personal and professional service. We are here to serve. We guarantee personal and professional service every step of the way. Acres Emergency Vehicles built for a life of service. Please visit our website at www.acresev.ca. I love that you just can figure out that that piece was so important for your development and what you wanted to do and and how you got to help other fire departments. And from visiting as many fire departments, like all of us sitting here have, have visited so many fire departments that you understand how important that is, right? And getting outside of your bubble and your comfort zone and your, that's, that would be a tough one to beat. Like way to, I'm just going to high five you here. Like way to, way to get that out there. We talked a little bit uh, before the podcast started about uh, the training officer role, right? And then we've kind of brought it up a few times here. To me, it's always like how, how special the relationship between the trainers and the students is. Right. And so today, you know, Rick, you get to live this every day. And I think as you get to be a fire chief, you kind of lose that, right? You don't get that because I'll tell you, there's people that I trained 25 years ago that are like, remember that time at the training thing we did that? And I'm like, I'm sorry I totally I don't don't remember that that much right or there's a few famous pictures of me sleeping different places that people always remember right and I was like I don't remember that I was sleeping so it's just it's a cool picture high five but right but that relationship you build with the students right and the longer you know them and the more you teach them I just find that so cool where it's like you're the person that's given me a chance you're the person that's given me the information you treat me like a human being when we're in the class and and you're pushing me to move forward and And you just get that bond where it's like so I was saying to Kelly I I don't know if I was that great of an instructor I, I think I was an okay instructor and and I think that it was a good job for me to have and it pushed me up in my career and made me take more training and kind of push that always learning always training thing I'm talking about but I would say that I was never better than okay at the job And so because I didn't have that crazy passion that a lot of training officers have, I decided, okay, well, there's other jobs. And so I'll try one of those. But that doesn't mean that I still don't seek out and try to find those trainers that are just, they just have that amazing connection with the students and that. So Rick, that's your current gig is Mm -hmm. training. What parts of being in training are you really passionate about?
2: Probably the biggest thing for me is being able to bring new or modified information. Like we have a very established department here. The department I'm in right now, originally there's a charter on the wall from 1946. So it's been as an industrial fire department, it's been around for a long time. But I get to bring new and different thoughts, ideas, techniques. You get some guys that They've been around long enough. We've done this the same way a thousand times and it always worked. And I say, you know what? And it'll work a thousand more times. But try this. This is gonna be, make it easier for you. It's that light bulb that turns on when you, they get into it and they actually start, hey, this actually works. That's what I would love to see and that's being able to bring that knowledge forward, that new way of doing things or that new concept or new tools so that they can be better at their job
0: for me it's always like i'll meet a trainer and i'll be like i could tell in the first five minutes because it's that level of passion that you bring to the job that that love of hey i'm going to help you change and everyone changes in a different way so i'm going to help you figure it out that's how i always know the really good trainers it's always a pleasure to see that it's always makes me excited for the firefighters that are going to be learning and that, and and don't get me wrong. I mean, I'm still 50 years old. I still have to go to courses. I still have to take training. And sometimes in that first five minutes, I know already that I'm going to be let down by the course, but every once in a while in that first five minutes, you're just like, oh yeah, buckle up. This is gonna be a good one, right? We're gonna be able to talk about crazy stuff and have good discussions and really get things going. I get super excited in that first five minutes when you're like, oh yeah, this is gonna be a good day. So Kelly, your turn. you you obviously like, you talked a little bit about it with the fire marshal's office, but there was other times with other departments where you've had that role. What parts do you
1: love of the training piece? I would say I could break it down into two distinct uh, areas one when i was doing training with other organizations at the fire college and training young firefighters it was always the passion that people brought and invigorated me to want to do better and be better and the relationships that you build with those people i can remember doing modules where you trained new firefighters pre the province getting into nfpa you'd have them for a week and the last day, I mean, there was tears because in a week you built, you ate, you slept, you drank, you sweated, you bled with these people. And in that short time you built this amazing relationship and there were different classes than others, but there was those that you bonded with. And like you said, Jamie, I see people now that I trained like 20 years ago, and I don't know them, but they come up and say, hey, how's it going? And that feels good. And then w- with my departments, I think when you would work on something and get results and see the change and being out in the field and getting something that you worked on happen, and everybody kind of looked around like, well, wow, that really worked, yeah. wow, <laughs> that was- I can't believe it. <laughs> yeah, exactly, that was gratifying. And just, again, learning, learning yourselves. And I think that's the great thing about being a training officer, let's be honest, training officers are a different breed. I mean. Love them, hate them,
0: it's all (laughs) all good, yeah. It's a lot of work,
1: (laughs) and they need to carry that passion. They need to be at 10.5 with everything they do, particularly with the diversity of the classes or or the folks that you're training, and it's a tough job. And I think that you're there to learn as much as you give.
0: Yeah, and I think maybe,
1: I don't wanna to get too psychological here, but
0: maybe that's why I didn't love it that much. I skated through high school and I was that guy where like I'm smart enough I can get some 60s and 70s and keep my parents off my ass and, and move it through and I probably could have also done better but I didn't have to. And, and so you get into the fire service and it's like very early on, it was like, you're not going to be able to skate through this job. You're not going to be able to just, and so then you start training and people start asking you these hard questions and you don't maybe know as much as you want. And there's one particular guy that'll listen to this and he'll just laugh and laugh. Because when I got interviewed for that job, we were talking about electronic governors and different things on the truck. And I don't know why, if I was nervous, This was the first interview I'd ever had in my life. So I bobbled some stuff and he come to my house later and we had a beer and he was like, good news, bad news. And I was like, start with the good news. You got the job. I was like, Bad news. Worst interview I've ever done with anyone in the entire history of me having this job. You are horrible. Right. Luckily, we know you and everyone likes you. So you got the job. But like, if it was just based on the interview, but I got to tell you. Right. And so I was like, Hey, it's all good. There's Al. no harm? No foul. Thanks for being honest. right?" I know I botched it right and I also to take the lid off the box here there was you know I don't know everything about everything obviously I know how everything runs but maybe I don't know is enough I had to immediately go into this I was kind of like a student and a teacher at the same time right I knew I had to get my skills better and it's pretty young when I was doing that so I'd have to get better and so I really enjoyed going to like the industrial sites where it was like, you know, so I'm up at Syncrude and it's like volunteers from the mine are coming to take fire training and so they weren't really pushing my buttons and pushing me to be the best and asking a million things. They're just like, I'll take the stuff, I'll learn to be a firefighter and I'll take my 250 an hour and move on, right? Maybe that's why I didn't love it as much as other people, right? Rick, you were talking to me yesterday and and you, you were talking about training and, you know, there's a certain amount of hours of training we have to do every day and all of those things. And you kind of explained it to me in three pieces. And I want you to do that again on the podcast. It really resonated with me that us having to learn things on the job is bigger than just the job.
2: So the way that I look at it or we look at it within this organization is there's three prongs to training or three pieces to training. First of all, we're going to spend some time training for the company. This is the oh training, the lockout tag out, the electrical safety, the site familiarization, the, all of the stuff that the company says you need to have. Then there's the piece for yourself, and this is the knowledge to make you a better firefighter. This is improving your ability to rig up a rope rescue system, this is being able to deploy hose lines in 20 seconds instead of a minute and 20 seconds. It's being better at putting your gear on, whatever it happens to be, but it's to make you a better firefighter. And the last part we look at is the part for your family. And that's a physical fitness component. And the reason we put it for your family is we want you to go home at the end of the day. And we want you to be in, in the best condition you possibly can to go and do things with your kids, your grandkids, your cousins, your friends, et cetera, et cetera. I took some courses from some guys from California and they had a concept that they used, they called it the round trip ticket. And that's kind of a little bit where I drew that from. And their philosophy was, we want to make sure that at the end of your career, you are in as good or better condition than when you started. We don't want to break you down. We want to build you up. Holy man, eh?
0: Deep. Imagine if you were as good at 60 as you were at 18. <laughs>
2: <Whew>. <laughs> I don't even I want to talk to my wife about that. So. <laughs> <laughs> and, and it's funny. I mean, I've been involved with hockey for a lot of years and I played senior hockey when I was in Sexmouth. One of the guys on the team was 50 years old, playing senior double A. He was a pastor in the Hythe Church. His line mates were two 18 year old twins. (laughs) They were a very productive third line. And it wasn't that the 50 year old could skate with the 18 year olds. He didn't have to. Let them do the skating. He would just show up and say, I'm here, put the puck on my stick and he always knew where to be. Be the playmaker,
0: be the person that puts the final puck in. Yeah, Yeah, there's lots of different roles. I like that, that's, uh, I like how you explain it, right? I think that, you know, I'm a big, always training, always learning, trying to to push that stuff, and and it's true, we always are doing those things as we move through our life, but which parts are for who, right? Mm -hmm. Which parts for the fire department, which parts for me, which parts for my family. It was just that, I liked how you explained it, so thanks for talking about it again. Because the next topic, Kelly, I'm shooting this one to you is, and we talk about this and there's the 100 years of tradition unimpeded by change and people like to make fun of us as firefighters, which I think is ridiculous and I love to talk with people about that. But I always talk about two things firefighters hate, change and the way it is now. As we go through our careers, we hear tons of people talk about that and say that all the time. So in the roles that you've had, you've got a, had a chance to move around through municipal, industrial, uh, the fire marshal's office, all these different roles. What do you think when I say two things firefighters hate change in the way it is now?
1: I've got battle scars <laughs> <laughs> from doing it wrong and not that you do it right currently in the roles that we do, but I think you've picked up a few things along the way. I look back to my first job when I was that 26 year old kid, and I would drive change and, and things. And I think as I began to grow and develop and understand more about leadership, and not just being a, a good or decent firefighter, that there's a lot more to the job. When I look back, and in the roles that I've played since that, I discovered one thing: when and while I was there in the place that I was when I was 26 and I left you know, when I was about 30 or 31, most of the stuff that I did undid. It unraveled when I left and I started to begin to think from that day forward, what did I need to do that drove change and whether I was there or not, it stuck. And that's what I really tried to focus on in my career, no matter where I've been in a leadership role since it's all about processes unfortunately and how you drive it and a lot of that is communication buy in and we all listen to people who help and produce the way that we act or react or or perform and one thing that i think is always missing there is it doesn't matter what level we are at when you try to put change if the people that are working through the change don't understand it don't get it can't digest it, they can't change. And it starts with communication and, and really working that and then going through it at, at a pace that's that's manageable. And I think I really, that's something that I really gleaned from that first job. I was a 26 year old kid and thought, man, it, were you stupid? What, what an idiot. <laughs> you know, you did all these things and good, bad or indifferent. The day you left, they kind of fell apart. And as a fire chief, that's your role to make sure that, that stuff stays and sticks and is a tradition that's carried on and that's something that I I think And whenever there's an issue or wherever it's not working, everybody always looks to communication and there's so many sides of communication and we even struggle with that here. We're trying to build communication processes and studied it a lot to try to understand what good communication is and it's, it's so many things to so many people and probably not what I think it is or how I understand it or come and talk to people and that's I think the difficulty in trying to make it Make it stick.
0: It's so many things that you're saying resonate with me. One of the questions I get asked a lot is like, what's it like when you go back to Slave Lake now, right? You spent 30 some years there. A lot of that as a boss. And what I always tell people is I love it. I go back, I'm still great friends with so many people there. My son still works there. The deputy that was there when I left moved up to the chief. He's doing a great job. And I think that's those legacy pieces. Like we gave them the tools and the programs and the processes that they need to continue just being an awesome fire department. And so when you go there, it's just, I love it, right? Is it different when I was there? Yeah. Do they do some things different than I was there? Yeah. But they just continue to want to be this awesome fire department and move it forward. And and I think that I got to be a small part of that, that legacy of we want to move forward and we want to be a great fire department. And so now they just take that to new heights and keep it going. And and it's like good, because when I left it didn't fall apart. They just started doing it their way and started moving it forward. And so sometimes we get put into those roles where we're not quite ready for it. And you do a good job job when you're there, but it doesn't all stick because you didn't have the same knowledge and experience that you have today. Rick over to you. So same kind of thing, right? Two things firefighters hate change in the way it is now. Your job is training right now. You've had lots of other different jobs. What do you say to those people that are like, Hey, I don't want to change and I don't want to. Like, how do we get them so that they want to change?
2: I find the biggest thing is you have to show them, tell them, explain to them, find a way that they can understand that the way that we're looking at going to is better in some way, shape or form. Is it perfect? No, but give me your input so we can make it better. The whole training thing, everybody thinks, well, somebody comes in and they teach everything and then you walk away. I have learned more sitting down and talking with these guys in the classroom. And I may get a little trouble from some groups the way I do it, but we'll start talking about ladders. And by the end of the hour, hour and a half, we've spent 45 minutes on, well, how do we deploy that hose line up a ladder? Wasn't ever in the lesson plan, but it's something that they were passionate about. So we took what they were passionate about and built it into what I was working on. If you can get them to take that first step forward and second step, even if it's not exactly the direction you were heading, you can steer them back to where you want them to be.
0: Yeah. To find those ways to get everybody involved in that. I love it. That's a, and i think those great trainers that can find a way to make it interesting for everybody in the room even i won't lie i'm 50 years old and so i'm sometimes the stick in the mud sitting at the back of the classroom like i really kind of wish i wasn't here or i got other things to do or i try not to ever play on my phone because that's a super slap in the face for people but i definitely know that i'm putting off the whole i wish i was anywhere but here vibe i also like that they take that as a personal challenge to get me involved and get me going and most people that know me they know there's some tricks to <laughs> to get me involved and drag me in right so So we're talking about change and how do we get people involved. You've both had all kinds of different experiences working with government, working with municipalities, working in industrial sites, working for industrial company, all all the different things that go with it. And all of those have the good, the bad and the ugly part of the processes. I actually love working with industry, right? Typically we'll have like a better, stronger water supply, better, stronger backups, better, stronger budgets, and those kinds of things. Not that I hate municipal or government, or, but I also feel like sometimes you can draw a straighter line from idea to implementation than you can in, let's just say, the province or the federal level or those things. But I'm here to talk to you guys and ask you. So, Kelly, we're going to get you to go first. You've had all these different jobs. You've worked provincially. You've worked and with industrial and you've worked for municipalities. What are some of the good, the bad, and the ugly that
1: you see in those different processes? With the municipal environment, you know, it's not for profit. That each in its own way has is a double-edged sword, it has good things and bad points about it. The industrial is all about business. It's all about money. So that in its own way brings challenges to the table. Just in asking the question, I now wonder through my quest for knowledge from when I first started, did I overcompensate and educated myself really well in business? And I seem to thrive in that environment. It's one thing that I wish municipalities did a bit better job at doing, running their organization like a business. And there's a lot of NGOs out there that do really good that don't make money as a mandate, but run their organization like a business. And I think that's the pitfall or downside to the municipal side and why I probably thrive a little bit better in that business world with these are crazy things when you talk about this, particularly when you when you're trying to match them up with hose and water and, and fire trucks, but key performance indicators and metrics and report cards. And I think if you could combine both those worlds, they'd be a much better world out there. In terms of governance, they're about the same. You know, I spoke this week earlier. One thing that's difficult with the municipal side usually every year you're re-educating or recalibrating a new council. That's very difficult. And if you, you've got a good council, you get a great four years. If you've got a bad, bad council, it feels like 200 <laughs> years. And I'm going to do the math after today, but 19 CAOs, that's also difficult. Like you're you're dealing with a lot of people in different personalities there. So those are the challenges that come with the municipal side. And the business side, I don't know that the people change out any differently, but it's just a different mantra, I would say, in that industrial world. So they're both unique. They're both challenging. I think you can branch out a little bit bigger in the business world with where we're going. And, you know, look, even some of the stuff that we've talked about this week, I just don't know that if I was in Pumpkin Corner's fire department, that it would, you know, we could have these great conversations. And Look at the people that I met this week and in the last few months that I've been here, you know, in this particular environment and just opening up brand new doors. And maybe that's what's exciting as well. Yeah, for sure. And I think maybe that's one of the big differences between municipal and
0: provincial and and federal and, and industrial is, you know, the business is going to go where the business is going to go. And so you get those direction changes driven by we're going to start a new process or we're going to put in a new facility or we're going to do whatever. Whereas the municipality is more driven by how many more houses are we going to build? How many more apartments are we going to build? And the province is maybe more driven by where's our population going here? Where's our sweet spot? Where's our tough spots? And so it's all driven by different things so Rick same thing over to you you've been in all these different things right you've worked for industrial companies on the road doing oil field work you've worked for different industrial companies along the way you've worked for different municipalities what's the good and the bad the ugly that you've found out and lived through with your process
2: the good part for industrial for sure is you put a plan together you sell that plan that plan is moving forward you show the ROI and it's a numbers game, like it really is. If you can show them the numbers, nine times out of ten, they'll move forward with it. And I haven't been heavily involved in the the leadership side of the, like the senior leadership side in municipal. But talking with my previous chiefs, it's kind of like they can show the ROI all day, every day. But now it's a people thing. It's not just numbers driven. And, seven and there's counselors, that seven counselors, <laughs> CAO, yep. mayor seven different departments that you're competing for that same budget dollars for, Right. it's a little bit tougher that way. When they do get the okay for the most part, I find changes easier to drive municipally because they don't have all the regulation that ties you and you have to change your regulation in order to change the way you do your job in the industrial side. That's fair. So, I mean, they both have pros and cons, like the chief said, it's just where are you at the moment? Yeah. And work with the, within the, the conscript or, or the area that you're in. Right. Which job do you have now, right? And how yeah. does it work at this job? And
0: okay, we're, so we're getting close to the end here and I want to always try to give this opportunity. So when I got this much experience in the room and we're having a chat, I want you to think back to 18 year old Kelly. And you're going to give them a couple sentences right now to be like, this is how I can do better and learn better and be better. What
1: advice are you going to give yourself? Well, the first thing that I thought of is which ditch I would be in. (laughs) (laughs) If I didn't take the right road, I would say that for anybody that's listening, this is an amazing career. There are a ton of opportunity. Go out there, do something that you love. When we were talking about training, we're working on fundamentals with our own department. And one of our aspiring fundamentals is train more than you complain. I think that would be appropriate for today. Like, just go and, and do what you do and get yourself to be the best self that you can be. Build those relationships. I mean, I couldn't have been sitting here where I am, even meeting you, Jamie, without Rick and the network that he has. So it opens up so many doors, and that's what I would like to leave everybody with. The fire service is a great career. It's like any career. It has its ups and downs. But with the people that you meet and the people that care about each other, I really am lucky to be in this environment and sitting here today, particularly talking with you and having having the opportunity. Nice.
2: Rick, your turn.
0: 18-year-old Ricky sitting there. He needs
2: to get a tune-up. What are you going to tell him? I'm going to tell them the same words my dad told me, and that was, God gave you two ears and one mouth. Use them appropriately, but I'm going to add a little more onto it. What I would really want him to do is take every second you can from every person you can and draw as much information out of them as you can. You're sitting around the coffee table, just sit and listen to the stories. Because the stories are where you learn. Suck it all up. Man. Suck it all up. That's what I'm getting. Suck it all in and train
0: more than you complain. There That's you it. Go. That's the best ending ever. We're, <laughs> we're all good. So thanks, guys. Thanks for uh, coming on the podcast with me. Thanks for uh, the week we've had together here in Ontario. It's just great to hang around with great people and talk about stuff that we love. So, growing up fire season four. Thanks so much for being on the show.
2: Thanks, Jamie. Thanks, Jamie.
0: Thanks for listening to Growing Up Fire today. Follow me on Instagram at Chief Coots to comment or send questions. We appreciate your support.